Coming up on golf today, I've got some good news. Today we're going to talk about golf, like actual golf, where golfers have golf clubs that are making birdies and saving pars. Golfers golfing on the golfing course. What a concept. And like influencers in the wild on Instagram, when water's involved, it's time to dress down and prepare for the cameras. There's no place where that happens like the Honda. So we'll go back through the years and bring you video you didn't know you needed on a Thursday. And fresh off his victory on the Corn Ferry Tour, Ben On joins the show to talk about his win, why Cal golfers seem to be so dang good at social media, and what is next for him in 2022. It's golf. It's today. Show names make total sense. Let's do it. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. It is golf today on a Thursday, which means we have some golf. We have some highlights as well. The Honda Classic underway in Florida, PGA National. A stern test, some would say. A tough test, some would say. And some might use words we can't say on air. That is Honda Week. Expect some big numbers from some of the best in the world. Shane Bacon with Eamon Lynch. And, and Eamon, this is this is one of one of your favorite weeks of the year in golf for reasons I don't think the players are going to love. No, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the glamorous end of the leaderboard in this game, Shane. This is the one week of the year where Thursday, Friday, I want to scroll to the bottom end of the leaderboard because yeah, misery loves company in this game. And, you know, even Martin Keimer today, he started off with the old In-N-Out burger, the double-double to start. <laughs> I am fascinated by the bottom end of the leaderboard in this tournament because that's where the tragedy lies. The triumph is up at the other end. I think it speaks a lot more about you than maybe the players when you're a person Possibly. that scrolls to the bottom of the leaderboard and then goes up. PGA National, one of the toughest all year. A look at the last six PGA Tour seasons and how it's played compared to other events, this including the major championship golf course. You see second on tour in the 18-3rd in 2020. Let's hear from the players on how tough PGA National can play. I always like playing challenging courses. I I like tournaments when you won with not good scores. They were used to play a lot of courses that they win with 20, 20 something under par. And I, I really like those type of courses, kind of like majors tournament that they sometimes win with one digit under par. I like it because it's difficult. I like difficult courses. I think that's why, I mean, I can't compete when it's 30 under, 25 under every week. That's not that's not me. I'm not going to go out and go shoot 66, 65 every round. Um, probably why you see U.S. Opens, I'm pretty much contending every time. And um, and the more difficult tracks, I seem to do, do better. And that's kind of our MO, the history I've looked at it. Um, I think maybe four or five times shot over 18 under, and that's about it. But the rest of the time, when it's when it's difficult, I'm, I'm usually right there. But it's it's just a good test. It tests you off the tee, uh, second shots or approach shots. Um, you know, it's not like you have a bunch of scoring opportunities with par fives. Um, it kind of just it'll wear you down. Um, you know, if you kind of get going the wrong direction. But um, like Brooks was talking about, it's it's a when you take it on the right way, it's a, it's a fun challenge. It tests you in, in kind of all aspects of your game, and especially when you have the standard 10 to 50 mile an hour wind, it's it's all you want. And a little bit of a zag for the PGA Tour players, considering what we've seen already in 2022. Nobody's won at over par. Nobody's won even in single digits under par. You see, most of the wins have been in that 15 to 29 under par range, of course. 
What we saw to open the season, crazy low scoring. And you go from crazy low scoring, even at Riviera, to a place where pars play. And that mentality's got to switch quickly for the players because you think about what Brooks Kepka said. I mean, you got to go out there a lot of the time on the PGA Tour golf courses and shoot 65 and 66 to keep yourself in contention. And all of a sudden, shooting even par plays here at the Honda. Yeah, if you look at the winning scores of the Honda Classic over the last 10 years, 9.1 under par is your average winning score. That is, by some margin, the toughest event to win on the Florida Swing. API, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, is 13 under par. Even the Players' Championship is 12 under par. So this really does set a bar, which is, I think, why a bunch of guys will stay away from it. Uh, and have done over the last few years. It's not just a schedule thing, although that has not helped the tournament. Guys just simply don't want to get slapped around this hard when they're heading into events that are going to start to define careers. Yeah, when you mix in water on tough golf courses, I mean, we see this at the players year in and year out. I mean, there's not really a recipe for success at the players. Either you're kind of striking the ball well and you have a chance to win there, and then, of course, next year you might immediately miss the cut. I look at Ricky Fowler's run through the Honda over the years. You go back to 2017, he won. Then he missed the cut the next year. He finished tied for second in 2019, missed the cut in 2020. That's kind of what you see at this golf course. And when you look at the winning scores going back to 2016, I mean, Adam Scott at nine under, Ricky at 12, JT at eight, Keith Mitchell at nine, Sung Jay at six, six under par, Matt Jones winning at 12 under par. You get the double digits at the Honda. You got a great shot to not just walk away with the trophy, but might maybe win by two or three shots. Yeah, and we have a guy at the top of the leaderboard right now, Joaquin Neiman, who won at 19 under par last week. Can you? How rare is it to win on the PGA Tour wire to wire, back to back? Uh, Jason Day was the last guy to win two tournaments wire to wire in the same season back in 2016. It doesn't happen very often, but Joaquin Neiman at four under par early going here on Thursday, he's setting himself up pretty well. Is this momentum talk silly, bringing the fact up? We were talking about it before the show started, about momentum in golf. I mean, you talk to players when they win a golf tournament and they talk about getting to the tournament on Tuesday or Wednesday and they know they're tied for the lead, if you will, with everybody else there. I mean, basketball teams can carry momentum you know, throughout week stretches. Football teams obviously can carry momentum. We see that each and every year going into the playoffs. Does momentum exist in golf? I, I think it does, but I don't think it's as concentrated as it is in other sports. I think it's a little more diluted in golf. You can have momentum over the course of a season or a year. We've seen these bursts from a Rory McIlroy or a Jordan Spieth or Brooks Kepka, and to some extent even last year, John Ram, where it's spread out that it's more confidence that builds the momentum. I don't think you see it in the intense week-to-week-to-week -week -week bursts that you see it in other sports. It's funny because, you know, the regular golfers, if you will, will find things to latch on to, a swing thought or something that works for them in terms of what they're doing. And that will propel them to a good year, you know, at their club championships and member guests. For the pro golfer, that's not that far off either. It's about having something internal that you can think about, that you can simplify with your golf game. And sure, it's mechanical and the swing's got to be, you know, locked in and the putting's got to be great. But for these players, a lot of the time, it's just literally linking the mind to what's working with your golf swing and with your hands. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is a cigarette paper's width between ecstasy and despair out there for some of these guys that suddenly something clicks on the range some week or a shot they hit when they're out of contention in a tournament one week gives them a little ignition fuel for the next week. It's an amazing, it's an amazingly thin line out there between success and failure for these guys because, you know, that old marketing line, these guys are good. Well, they're all good 
but who's good on a given week? And there's an immense amount variety of factors you know, into that. You know what I find so interesting, and Kepka touched on this, is there are players that have the ability to just go crazy low all the time. It doesn't matter the golf course. It doesn't matter the situation. They just can kind of black out, if you will, and go low. And then there are certain players, and even Brooks Kepka, one of the most polished players of this generation, saying that's not really my DNA. I mean, he's a guy that almost wants to grind out the tough rounds on tough golf courses. And Brooks Kepka, to me, he's talked about a lot about his U.S. Open successes. But this is a guy, to me, that seems like he would have a lot of success in terms of Florida golf because of those reasons. I mean, I'd be surprised if Brooks Kepka ends his career without winning a Players' Championship. Yeah, he's got a feast or famine relationship with this tournament here on this golf course, and he doesn't live very far away from it. He grew up in West Palm Beach. He was tied second here back in 2019, but there's a certain grittiness that comes with winners here. You know, JT won here, Podrick Harrington won this tournament here, and then won it also across the street at Mirasol. But you don't play golden tee golf at PGA National. You're not going out there to shoot video game scores of, of 30 under par. You're lucky, if, as you said, if you get to double digits, you're probably in the last group on how, Sunday. How's your golden tee game? Have you spent a lot of time doing golden tee golf? I was always awful at it. At one point, I actually held every course record on the machine in an old office. You, I seriously? In. Didn't last, but I had a brief, brilliant moment. That was actually my best golf ever, Shane, was virtual. <laughs> Wrist action for Eamon Lynch plays well. Well, it's Honda week. Of course, we'll see enormous numbers. We'll also see a lot more of the players that maybe we'd hope to see. More on those moments when Golf Today returns. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, just last month, we lost our colleague and friend Tim Rosefort. The Honda Classic was near and dear to Rosie's heart as he covered the event for more than three decades. The tournament naming the media center after him in 2021. Additionally, the Honda Classic created an award in Rosefort's honor, the Tim Rosefort Distinguished Riders Award. In 2021, Rosefort was named the first recipient of the award by the tournament. And on Tuesday, the Honda Classic announced that Larry Dorman as the 2022 recipient of this award. Dorman covered golf on both the local and national levels for four publications, including the Miami Herald, as well as the New York Times. A close friend of Tim Rosefort's, Dorman said, it's an award I never presumed I would win and the one I certainly will cherish the rest of my days. A look at the resume of Larry over the years. 2017 PGA Lifetime Achievement Award in Journalism, Memorial Golf Journalism Award back in 2018. Of course, Tim Rosefort Distinguished Writers Award here in 2022. Golf writer at the Palm Beach Post, the National Sports Daily, the New York Times has done it all. And Larry joins us right now. Larry, we appreciate the time. And what was it like getting that call that you had won this award? Well, I, I, first I thought somebody was kidding me. And then I thought, you know, it's, it's probably the highest honor that I'm ever 
going to receive for the rest of my life. So um, it was, I was ambivalent about it because, you know, if, if anybody, if there's anyone I wish were out here today standing here, it, it would be Tim. And uh, I'm, I'm going to miss him. I really, I've already missed him a lot. But it, that's the whole thing is, uh, has been really kind of a whirlwind thing. And, and uh, I really appreciate it, everybody who helped out with it. It was, uh, it was a very nice ceremony. Larry, you became best friends with Tim over the years, but where did you guys first cross paths with each other? We, we crossed paths in, uh, at Doral in uh, 1980, I believe it was, when uh, a bunch of the writers were out on an early golf round, which we would do when we covered tournaments. It was about maybe 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was a little bit chilly. It doesn't get chilly here often. Uh, at that time of year, but there was a guy running around the golf course on the cart paths, which is verboten usually, and uh, he he had on a, a, hood or, a hooded uh, sweatshirt, and you know he he, he looked like uh, it looked like sliced alone, and you know running around the streets of Philadelphia or something. But um, Tim, you know he. He was very, very, very excited about being here because he knew he was going to get a, the golf beat at the uh, Sun Sentinel. And um, so all of us were happy for him. And he was, you know, he's a great guy then. He was a great guy all through his career. And one of the people that you can truly say is a real, true friend, somebody you can trust. Larry, what is so, the lasting legacy that Tim hoped would carry on around this sport? You know, I think his his lasting legacy is one of, um, I would say, caring for what he did, for for the accuracy of what he wrote, for the accuracy of what he said when he finally got to TV, which is what his real goal was uh, when he was younger. Um, he he always wanted things to be right, true, and, you know, not something that was going to stitch somebody up so badly that they'd get hurt. Larry, you mentioned the fact, you know, Tim had worked at the, the Palm Beach Post and the Sun Sentinel uh, back in an era when a lot of guys or a lot of metropolitan newspapers had beat writers in, in this game. You don't see that much anymore. The landscape has changed a great deal. What do you see when you look at the, the landscape now and what attribute of Tim's would you like the next generation of, of golf reporters to keep in mind? What should they be emulating from him? Well, I see, I see a lot fewer journalists covering uh, and walking uh, than I ever did before. Uh, there, the, and, and that's attributable to the uh, newspapers dying around the country. And, I, and so I think the death of the uh, news, the, a large number of newspapers is one thing that has made um, a difference here. And, but what I see in the guys that are walking around and, and uh, covering the game the way it should be covered, I, I see a lot of good young writers that, uh, um, who wouldn't know me from a anybody else, uh, but who are very, very good writers. And, and now they have, they have a lot on their shoulders because they don't have the kind of backup that we used to have when we were writing. 
And uh, so Tim was a guy who was always there. And you know, we used to joke because he always found out what the camera angles were so that he would make sure that his editor saw that he was there. <laughs> and so that was one of the, you know, that was one thing that uh, was kind of funny we could joke with Tim about. But I, I think that, you know, the um, the game is safe. The game is, is going to be much, much better now that the, the uh, COVID-19 is in, in the pretty much in the rear view mirror. And thank God for that. Um, will uh you know i think that there are a lot of guys out here and a lot of women out here who are extremely good there's uh you know they know what they're doing and i think that's part of what tim uh inspired in people that he met larry you spent decades covering this sport when you look at the pga tour and professional golf in 2022 what's the biggest difference now versus maybe 20 years ago well the it, there's a collective number of uh, there's a lot much larger uh, number of players out here who can drive it over 300 yards. Um, I'll say that. I, I mean, I remember the days when uh, the longest driver on tour uh, averaged two uh, about 280, and uh, and it's way over 300 now. So they're hitting it farther. They're in better condition. Um, they look better. They dress better. Uh, they're in shape, and uh, and there are more good young players now than I think I've ever seen um, in in most of the fields. Even if some of the top players aren't there, um, th there are a lot more players who can win PGA Tour events. That's what I see. Well, Larry, we really appreciate the time. Congrats on the award, one of the best ever to sit in front of a computer covering this sport. Congratulations. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it very much, guys. Thanks. That Larry Dorman this week, of course, players, caddies, and officials and media members will be wearing purple ribbons in memory of Tim Rosefort. Golf Today will be back after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Go back to Sunday. Ben on taking home his first Corn Ferry Tour title, Lecom Suncoast Classic. Big moment for the young man. First win since the BMW PGA. That's the trophy. So you like the trophy. You frame that and you frame the coat they give you as well. You frame the coat. They already framed it for him, right, Eamon? Every parent dreams of seeing their child in a doctor's coat. And <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you make a lot more money winning golf tournaments like this. 
Then you spend, what, 40 hours at the office with the doc coat on. A look at his resume, won the amateur at 17 years old back in 2019. BMW PGA on the DP World Tour in 2015. Finished just outside the top 10 at the 2016 Olympic Games. Member of the International President's Cup team in 2019. And now a winner on the Corn Ferry Tour. When you went on the Corn Ferry Tour, you went on the PGA Tour, you went on the LPGA Tour, you get to join Eamon and I on the show. Ben on does that right now. A big congrats on the W over the weekend. How's the come down been like these last couple days after the victory? Uh, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys, first of all. on. Um... You know, it's. Uh, I think it's nice to not have any tournaments for like this week and next week, I guess, <laughs> because I had to calm down a little bit because it was it was unbelievable, like you know how we ended up on last Sunday and then got the trophy. So um, it's been casual, and I had to play the Monday, the day after I won. Um, unfortunately, missed out. So uh, me and my wife drove back home Monday night, um, and I mean everything else was back to normal you know i i went to took a day off and then like this morning i went to hit some balls and chips so it's back to normal but just the difference is you know i have the trophy at home and i talked to your coach sean foley this morning you guys started working mm -hmm. together about a year ago and sean said you were born with a lot of gifts having two olympic medalists as parents but you needed to restructure how you worked mm -hmm. at the game or to have more structure in how you worked Mm -hmm. Is that a fair assessment? And what changes did you make? Uh, yeah, we made a lot of changes, you know, in the golf swing. Um, but also, he helped me a lot with, you know, not just the technical side of golf, more of a understanding um, golf almost. Um, because I, I don't think I ever like maybe I did earn it a little bit, but like it, it just came like this. It just happened, you know, of winning like USMs or BMW. But I feel like the tournament won the last weekend it was more of a I earned this this trophy because I worked hard at it um, this off season, um, both you know in golf and in, and physically. So um, you know he kind of told me what it takes to you know winning the golf trophy again. So um, yeah, of course we changed a lot of things in the golf scene, but he he was keep you know we had a phone call like Saturday night and Saturday morning and Sunday morning as well. So just keep, you know, he just got to keep reminding me of what this is about. You know, it's not about winning or getting the trophy. It's about, you know, the discipline and trying to stay at the current moment and not looking anything back. So, you know, I think he's helped me a lot with, uh, I don't know if the award is correct, like a mental side of a golf, I guess. So yeah, he's been a big help in, the, in our team. Ben, why does Cal produce such great Twitter users, specifically professional golfers on Twitter? Uh, well, I don't know, but for 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 other guys like Max or you know James Hunt, they're pretty funny on the Twitter. But because maybe they're smart, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that smart, but I just like I don't know. I I, I like tweeting the funny stuff and, you know, I don't want to be that serious guy and that's not who I am. So I try to be just, just me on the Twitter and then people seem to really like it. And, um, you know, I don't think my manager likes it very much sometimes because I get pretty harsh on people, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what, it, I mean, that's who I am. And then, you know, I think people, um, like that perspective of Ben on, I guess, you know, because people, 
it's hard to know me just on the golf course. You can't really tell who I am, but like at least on the Twitter, I think I do a bit of a personal uh, tweets out there sometimes. So, you know, that I think people like it. So I really appreciate that. Ben, you're looking in pretty good shape now to get your PGA Tour card back for next season. In what way are you going to be a different or better golfer than the last time you were on the PGA Tour? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was on the PGA Tour for five, six years, and then um, I never lost a card. But this time, you know, I don't know. This could be my low point of my golf career. Hopefully it was. And then, um, you know, I think... We, we, I had to hit the ground first and then to go a little bit higher you know, where I want to be. That's why I made a swing change. That's why I made a you know, uh, change in the coach so I can, I can do better and, and be better golfer um, than who I was like you know, three, four years ago. And then I feel like, um, you know, you never know in golf. I, I don't know what future is going to be, but we, in our old team, like we believe I can do better than what I have done before. So um, I don't know, hopefully I can keep grinding this win and, um, and then results will follow in a couple of years. But, you know, we all believe in what I'm capable of, so we're going to keep working on it. Ben, I have some parenting questions for you, if, if you're willing to help me out a little bit here. Uh, I've got a son a little bit older than your son, who's right around two years old. And I saw this video. Your son's out on the driving range, like, taking wax at the golf ball. I mean, my son won't even look at a golf club or a golf ball. How do you get him going this early? I don't know, like I, like you can see, I, I go out and practice like every day, and then he knows what I'm doing, and he knows what I do for a living too, I guess. So he he sometimes comes out and you know, his golf ball is next to me, or um, I don't know why, but he always puts his ball in a in a divot, so he <laughs> likes to hit him out of like pine straws and divots instead of the grass. I try to teach him like a few times, but you know he wouldn't, he never listens to me, but he likes me hitting golf balls. So, and I have this, you know, indoor uh, golf simulator. I think he spends more time in here than I do. So he really likes like hitting golf balls. Um, yeah, I, I, I never tried anything, but he just kind of just started play. You know, it's, it's good to see. <laughs> yeah, Ben, I'll have to FaceTime you a bit later. You can maybe give Henry yeah. some instruction if you don't mind. Uh, okay. I mean, you have a two-year-old. We love talking about perspective in golf. It's a word that pops up a lot. But how has that changed you as a golfer? How has it changed you both as a person, but maybe the mental side of playing mm -hmm. pro golf and approaching pro golf? Uh, yeah, it definitely helps. You know, um, before, before my son or before the marriage, you know, I – basically play for myself but now you know you have your wife and and a son who's um looking at you or like you know especially my son will be like oh my dad does this and then you know all the things i do on the golf course and off the golf course you know he'll um you know, like all the babies they kind of say the words that we say as well so <laughs> you know they kind of do like copy us so like i i want to be a better golfer and a better you know um you know, have a better attitude on the golf course, you know, just like that. And, and, you know, have, um, I don't know, work tactics, you know, working hard at it. So, so you can like look up to me and, and then be a, I don't know, maybe better. I don't know if you'll be a golfer, but then I do something later in his age. But, um, yeah, that's, I think that changed uh, a little bit in my like, mental side of it. Cause I want to be a better, um, human than a golfer. Cause it used to be just, you know, golf was everything, about my life. My life was about the golf, but now, like, you know, I got my son, so I want to be proud dad, and then, um, you know, I want to, I want to be someone who can, who he can look up, you know, later on. So, 
um, yeah, that's which is not the easiest thing to do. But um, yeah, the, he kind of my son's making me trying to do better every day. Yeah, they start to repeat the words you say, and then you got to start to watch the music you listen to. These are the things nobody yeah. tells you about parenting, right? Well, Ben, congrats on right. the win, man. It was very, very cool to see. Hopefully more come Thank you. in 2022. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me today. When you look at the PGA Tour season, it's kind of wild to think a third of the season's already done when you kind of dive into what we've already seen in the wraparound season. And we talk a lot about the FedEx Cup and the rankings of where the players are currently. But very, very interesting to look at where the FedEx Cup champions had been entering the Florida swing. You go back to 2014. And again, this gives us a little bit of context on what might need to happen for some of the players around the world. You see Billy Horschel back in 14, a bit of a surprise champion in that FedEx Cup. He was 40th entering the Florida swing. You can go to Justin Thomas there in 2017. He was second. Rory kind of the outlier in 2016 at 116th. But Patrick Cantley last year, first in the FedEx Cup, entering the Florida swing, of course, goes on to win that FedEx Cup. And here's some of those players, notable names, Amen, that are outside the top 125 currently as we move into Florida. It's a combination of not playing particularly well or not playing very often. In the case of, of Bryson, we haven't seen very much of him this year. The same with DJ as well. And other guys, you know, Fleetwood has struggled a little bit so far this year. So has Paul Casey. These are guys who kind of need to make a statement. I'm not sure this is the course where you can make a statement. Tommy Fleetwood's got a great strokes gain ball striking record on this golf course. He's going to need that this week because it's a tough golf course to come and try to make a move on. Eamon, this is something some of the best in the world have talked about over the years is feeling like they start the season and they're 110th or 120th in terms of the FedEx Cup standing, and it's a lot of work to make that up. A lot of young players, a lot of rookies are going to play five, six, even seven times in the fall headed in to the January swing. And for names like Roy McIlroy that you saw on that list, well in the hundreds in the standings when he went on to win the FedEx Cup, there's pressure for these players to show up and play a lot more golf because you know what's at stake later in the season. Yeah, and you saw in the last couple of years the elite players would show up once or twice in the fall, you know, a, a CJ Cup, or sometimes they play the HSBC in Shanghai. The elite players have never been a big fan of the post-Labor Day schedule out there. I've heard them refer to it basically as a, a head start program for journeymen, and then they find themselves pretty far back by the time they move into their playing schedule. And for a lot of guys, they didn't really start their schedule until that kind of Riviera Phoenix part of the year. A lot of guys won't do the Hawaii swing. So they're pretty far back. But the schedule changes that the tour has coming up starting at the end of next year, which will have team events, they'll still have the fall schedule, but it will not contribute towards FedEx Cup rankings. And we'll go back to starting in 24, the calendar year season, which always kind of made more sense to me anyway. But it's this so much golf. And there's not enough for me, but there's so much golf <laughs> out there. The guys have to individually choose the schedule that works for them. Rory McIlroy, when he was 102nd, when he won the FedEx Cup in 2016 at this point in the year, is because that's back when Rory McIlroy would start his year in the Middle East, which he did again this year for the first time in several years. The guys are going to choose their schedule. It's not necessarily always going to be front-loaded for this time of the year, because right now is when those guys really start to try to ramp themselves up for the players, for the Masters and beyond. Yeah, you see a lot of these players playing multiple weeks in a row, especially some of the notable names that you want to see out there on the golf course. And you mentioned some of the potential changes in terms of the PGA Tour scheduling, Eamon. You mentioned a few of these, addition of player impact program. Of course, we saw that. Got a bonus in 2022, addition of play 15 bonus as well, 2022 purse 
increase his new three-team team-based fall series that will start in 2023. A lot of this is to promote players to get out there and play a little bit more golf, maybe when they're not expecting to play a little bit more golf. Yeah, and I think it's also basically designed to kind of guarantee some money for the top-level players. The top 50 in the FedEx Cup rankings will make up those five or ten five-man teams in the in those team events in the fall series starting in 23 so it's really the the tour trying to think of something a little more creative perhaps at the point of a bayonet uh with with various other things going on in this game but it it can only be a good change i think to vary things up in the season you know there used to be some silly season events as we called them back then that at least broke up the monotony of tour golf there are still playing opportunities for for guys who want to play and try to make money in the fall season i think there's a better way to use that time for the elite players in the game and create something a little more entertaining do you feel like a break is needed for these players when you talk to some of the best in the world do they yearn for more time off i they do but i also think they're not being denied that at a certain point you can play as much or as little as you want within reason on the PGA Tour. You don't have to show up every week. If you don't want to play for the fall, don't play. Right. But there are consequences to not playing. If you don't show up at work, you don't get paid. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of true in any job. These guys have the schedule. They like to whine about the schedule. They always have. But th there is a certain amount of freedom there. I do think that having a little more flexibility in what the options are at the end of the year, for, certainly for the top players, and what is then the engagement of the fans in that product, I think it's probably a little better. I think there's been some stuff a lot of fans have asked about over the years as well. I think the team events is something that we always get excited about when we get a chance to see them. I think mixed tour events is something that a lot of golf fans have been asking for for years. Let's see the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour team up for some events out there, and, and let's see how that does. I mean, let's see who watches that and how excited the golf world gets because you can only watch so many 72-hole stroke play golf tournaments. You can, and then at that point, you know, it, it feels like it's week to week. And so I think it's very, very important to at least throw a few curveballs in terms of the schedule to give golf fans even a bit of a break in what they're watching. And as you mentioned the other day when we sat here, the idea of an all-star game and just have a skills challenge of some kind. It, there are a lot of different ways that you can televise and create and format golf to make it more interesting than the 72-hole stroke player that we see week in and week out as a matter of competition. Let's separate the competition from the entertainment. And there is a, the entertainment part of the schedule is under-resourced, and hopefully that's going to change. Always looking for more entertainment. Someone that always brings the entertainment to the professional golf world is a Ricky Fowler. He's in the field this week looking for some form. Was talking about some swing changes and adjustments as well as a potential Netflix beef. A beef with Ricky? We'll talk about that in a minute. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And look at some of those names that have done well at PGA National over the years. Last 10 years in terms of strokes gained total, you see Tommy Fleetwood, the leader in that category, Eamon, someone that you talked about earlier in the week that likes this golf course and likes how tough it'll play. Also on the list is Ricky Fowler, former champion of this event back in 2017, finishing a tie for second in 2019. He's mixed in a couple of cuts there as well. And he is out on the driving range preparing to go. And Eamon, this is a guy that 
looked to be moving back into the Ricky Fowler world that we'd seen back in 2017 2018 finishing a tie for third at the CJ Cup late last year. Since then no no top 40s three missed cuts still seems to be searching a bit in the golf game. Yeah he made his first cut of the year last week at the Genesis Invitational he ended up tied for 55th but he'd missed three straight in a row to start the year. And you know he, he does have happy memories here he's finished second he's won he's got a couple of top 10 finishes. But when you look at and he is showing improvement it has to be said in one area if you look at his Ricky Strokes gained approach he's 74th on tour this year versus 157th last year. It's still at the business end of the hole where Ricky seems to be showing a complete lack of confidence right now. If you even go back just three years Ricky was top 15 in strokes gained putting right now he's 205th. Last year he was 126 so that still seems to be a particular issue for Ricky. I know he's been doing a lot of work on the full swing and trying to get comfortable with that but it does seem to have bled throughout his game that there are issues. So wild to think that you said it I'll say it again 205th this season in strokes game putting this is a category he led on the PGA Tour in 2017 and Damon Hack and I've sat up here talking a lot about the Ricky Fowler stroke and how he was the guy for years and years that you would pick to roll a 10 footer. It was between him and NB Park as the professional golfers. You wanted to hit the 10 footer. They seemed like they always had speed and they seemed like they were always confidently struck and they would drop right in the middle to see Ricky Fowler struggle so much on the greens. And you said it working on the full swing is one thing, but on the greens to see Ricky with this lack of confidence is a bit surprising and it puts so much pressure on everything else. You used the key word there, Shane. You said confidently. And I think once the confidence goes, then the putter is seldom far behind because if you're putting a lot for pars, it's very hard to feel a great deal of confidence and carry it through to the next hole. So it, it does become this kind of vicious cycle that you're stuck in. Well, you know, there have been more cameras out following the professional golfers in 2022. Of course, the news of the Netflix show everybody excited about. Ricky was actually asked about this and if there'd be maybe a feud with another of the players involved. Ricky you seem really well liked out here but drive to survive there's always a feud going on so if you had to have one fake feud with another player out here who would you pick I'm gonna pick Harry Higgs he what? came over for dinner last night well I invited him but I think it'd just be fun so so some beef with with Harry Higgs now you can't I mean one of the rules is you can't tell people it's a fake beef you've actually got to make them believe that it's it's true that or you're feuding it starts as a real beef and turns into a fake one like DeChambeau and Kepka <laughs> last year where it becomes a made for TV if you're event. Go there. I was wondering if you take us there. How long does it have to last before you get your own made for TV special though. <laughs> I mean we, we got October November potentially opening up in the next couple of years in terms of scheduling. And frankly neither one of them has actually played well since the beef ended so perhaps that's a little <laughs> extra get it back going. fuel that they need. I, I would say Ricky's got to be on a high on the list of players that don't feud with anybody. I mean you know you talk about how liked a guy is amongst his peers. I mean Ricky Fowler is one of those positive spirits that everybody likes and everybody talks to and everybody likes to hang out with and you know I mean you've heard criticisms of Ricky Fowler but it's mostly for things that nobody else in the world would turn down. I mean these are sponsor opportunities and and commercial appearances. What pro golfers say no to that. Yeah and the one thing you can say about Ricky Fowler is he you know he's been under a tremendous amount of scrutiny since he turned professional you know he was the next great hope he was going to be the needle mover the number of kids you'd see dressed like Ricky when you went to any course was always quite striking and the perhaps he hasn't won as much as he ought to have won given the talent he has and there's also the criticism about the 
commercial opportunities and now the struggles over the last couple of years with the full swing. But show me one moment ever when Ricky Fowler snapped at somebody or R Ricky Fowler threw a club right. or Ricky Fowler lost his temper or acted in somewhat less than a professional manner. It doesn't happen, it's never happened. And keeping that kind of even keel when you're struggling under this kind of scrutiny is not an easy thing. You're on camera all the time. You're on video all the time. You're on PGA Tour Live all the time. I mean, Ricky Fowler has been on the forefront when it's good and when it's bad. And there are few players. You think about what Tiger Woods went through his entire life. Tiger Woods went through the bad on camera. And a lot of players don't get shown when things aren't going their way. When they're shooting 74, typically you're not going to see it on camera. Ricky Fowler is one of those players that gets shown when he's two or three over par. And that's not the easiest thing to deal with at times. It really is, and it can become very corrosive to the confidence when you can't really leave it at the golf course because you're reminded of it. You turn on ESPN, you turn off Golf Central, there you are. And your, your day is accounted for, and it becomes very easy to measure yourself by the number you had to write in the last box on the scorecard mm -hmm. that day. And you hear a lot of golfers talk about how they try to move away from that kind of self-judgment where they associate themselves and their self-worth a little bit too closely with their workday, and that's particularly easy to do when you're struggling in the manner that Ricky Fowler is, because you get a lot of people telling you that you are successful, you're, you're wealthy, you have all of this going for you, but do you deserve it because you're not winning? Ricky Fowler goes off in about 30 minutes. We have golf happening at the Honda, including Mackenzie Hughes here at the sixth. This from just inside of 50 feet for birdie. And you know, I mean, we're, why are we showing you? Well, they got 50 footer. You got to show the 50 footers when they drop. All of Canada just rose to its feet. <laughs> Get him to one under par. He's having an up and down day. As McKenzie Hughes, a look at how some of the superstars are playing at the Honda. Joaquin Neiman coming off the win at Riviera was four under par, made a double still. Two under par has him in the top 10. Brooks Kepka at three under par, and McKenzie Hughes one under par. That's good enough for a tie for 13. Daniel Berger in the field this week. Another of those big names looking for this 2022 Honda Classic title. Goes off in just under half an hour. He likes it in Florida. That's what they tell me. He's planning to be on his boat by tomorrow afternoon. Play early, boat late. That's the dream. Back in a minute. Well, it has certainly been the talk of the golf world for the past few weeks, the potential threat of a Saudi golf league led by Greg Norman. Well, earlier today, Golf Channel received a letter penned by Greg himself, sent directly to Commissioner Jay Monahan. Here's what he had to say. Quote, Dear Commissioner Monahan, surely you jest and surely your lawyers at the PGA Tour must be holding their breath. Has been widely reported you have threatened the players on the PGA Tour, all of whom are independent contractors with lifetime bans if they decide to play golf in a league sponsored by anyone other than the tour. Greg continued, for decades, I've fought for the rights of players to enjoy a career in which they're rewarded fully and properly for their efforts. They are one in a million athletes. Yet for decades, the tour has put its own financial ambitions ahead of the players, and every player on the tour knows it. The tour is the player's tour, not your administration's tour. Why do you call the crown jewel in all tournaments outside the majors the player's championship and not the administration's championship? When you try to bluff and intimidate players by bullying and threatening them, you are guilty of going too far, being unfair, 
and you likely are in violation of the law. Simply put, you can't ban players from playing golf. A lot said there for Mr. Greg Norman in this letter. Plenty more on this. And, of course, a lot of players have talked on this earlier in the week. Lee Westwood, and here's what he had to say. He was very careful not to say anything about uh, lifetime bans or banning people for life. Um, he used different terminology. Um, I think everybody's on their guard and trying to not put a foot out of place, really. Eamon, I, I promised we were talking about golf today. Let me get a curveball. Your thoughts? This kind of reads like the angry letter of a jilted lover right here now. And it's, it does speak to the general desire among the backers of the Super Golf League to find some kind of legal challenge that may or may not exist. That will be litigated in due course. But it, he makes a great point here of saying, you know, why don't you let players make a choice? Well, the players have chosen. And we heard a lot of them last week. John Rahm has chosen. Brooks, Tiger, Rory, Morikawa. How many more guys actually need to make this choice? Greg just doesn't like the choice that they've actually made. But I was really struck by the line in there where he said, uh, you are guilty of going too far, being unfair, and you are likely in violation of the law. Can you imagine the gall it takes to write that sentence while cashing checks from people who behead people with bone saws? I mean, I'm actually embarrassed for him, but I'm not surprised by it. Yeah, the end of the letter he finished, this is just the beginning. It certainly is not the end in this letter to Commissioner Monaghan. I mean, this is a letter, you know, I mean, I'd say this is a letter that kind of screens desperation from someone that understands what's kind of happening. You hear so many of these big names, and we've heard from so many last week. And it was really the first time. Of course, Rory McIlroy, and you, you've been yeah. great about this with Rory. Rory brought this up, what, two years ago. But so many of the players really back in the PGA Tour, and so many of the top names. I loved you circling the top ten in the world on social <laughs> media last week that have basically said the PGA Tour is where I'm going to play golf. The PGA Tour is where you're going to see the best in the world as of now, and it seems like the foreseeable future and everything you're hearing from the players. Going back to what Greg talks about from the players yeah. that are playing on the PGA Tour that will be a part of the Players' Championship, the players have spoken. Yeah, the players have exercised the choice that Greg is demanding that they be allowed to exercise. Greg just doesn't like what the result of that choice is. And it's very possible they may still launch some version of this Super Golf League. It will not be what... Greg had dreamed of it as and what Greg has dreamed of for 30 years of having the best players in the world in there. What he's going to end up with is what Rory McIlroy described last week as a bridge to the Champions Tour. That still serves the purpose that this was ultimately intended to do, which is distracting from what this regime is about and sports washing their, their human rights record. They can do that with any number of players just by normalizing the state. They're just not going to do it with the best players in the world right now. It, it doesn't seem like, Eamon, when you look at names of these players, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of youth involved in any of these decisions. I mean, all of the young players have basically said, I'm going to be playing golf on the PGA Tour, even maybe some of the players that had been rumored to be playing otherwise. Yeah, the, there are two constituencies, really, in professional golf right now. There are the group who tend to be on the younger side, who are playing still for, for legacies that will define where they end up in, in a Hall of Fame or, or career-wise. And there are guys for whom that moment has passed. And they're looking for various reasons for just simply the cash-out at this point. And right now, the only people who are entertaining 
the Super Golf League idea are people who need the cash out. They are not the most engaging people in the world. They weren't even the most engaging players in the world when they were at their best. And that's what Greg is looking at right now, which is why this feels like it was a, a Facebook post written at 2 o'clock in the morning right. by an angry guy who's been jilted. It started with surely you jest. If a letter starts surely you jest, you know where it's going, right? Even if it's two pages long. I mean, you knew what was coming from this, and I'm sure most of us expected that we'd hear from Greg at some point. I'm not sure whether this would have ended up in Jay Monahan's trash can or if Framed. he would have it as a screensaver just to get a laugh every once in a while. But it's kind of intemperate language. It's trying to masquerade as a legal document when it's not. It's an angry letter. Now, there will be, I assume at some point, a litigation over the independent contractor nature of players on the tour and to what extent the tour can dictate where schedules are played. But right now the reality is this letter is based on Greg saying that players have not been given choices simply because Greg doesn't like the choices they've exercised. Eamon, golf fans want to see the best golfers play golf. Week in and week out. They want to see the best golfers on great golf courses at great tournaments playing against each other. I mean, that's what draws interest. That's what draws eyeballs. And that's what really seems to be the biggest moments in our sport. And when you think about what this is right now versus where the PGA Tour sits with so many names saying, this is where I'm going to be for the foreseeable future. This is where I'm going to play. This is where I'm going to work. The PGA Tour is what we're paying attention to. And it's why we're paying attention to it because the players are involved in it. Yeah, and it's very possible down the road that another alternative may come along. That People have ruled this out on a lot of grounds. People didn't right. like the idea that you weren't an independent contractor, you were essentially an employee of the Saudis and you had to play all of their tournaments. They didn't necessarily dig the format. They didn't like being told you have to play every event and where you have to play it. And in Rory McIlroy's case, rule it out on moral grounds. There are a lot of reasons why people have said no. Greg's just upset that nobody has said yes. God, we got so close. Almost two hours without the letter coming through. It just hit the presses.